Hi, and welcome back to Mince's From the Edge, a podcast for startups and entrepreneurs. Mince is a nationally leading law firm focused on helping emerging growth companies achieve success. Check us out at mincedge.com. On today's podcast, I'm interviewing my colleague Sean Griegel, who's a member in our IP group, and we're going to be talking about things that startups and entrepreneurs need to think about when they are executing on their IP plan. My name's Sam Efron. I'm a member in Mintz's corporate group. I work with startups and entrepreneurs on building their businesses and helping them finance. Today, as I said, we're joined by Sean Griegel. And Sean, why don't you give us a little bit about your background? Sure. I, uh, it's nice to be here, Sam. And uh, I'm excited about this podcast. I, I really enjoy talking about developing IP and, and getting IP assets in place for, for startup companies. I've been working with startups my whole career uh, for, for the last 17 years. Um, I took a break for a short while uh, as an attorney to uh, found my own startup, uh, along with uh, two co-founders. Uh, I was in the early days of mobile, uh, back when everything was a walled garden. I uh, learned more in those three years as a startup founder, uh, trying to raise money and, and get everything in place than I think in almost any other three years I've done. Uh, and so I, I, feel, uh, I feel for every entrepreneur that's out there that's trying to get this done. And I've thought for quite a long time that there's, there's a way to put uh, your IP assets in place, particularly in the earliest stages. There's a way to do it where we can plan for it and we can budget for it and, and we, we can spread that out in a manner that is, is manageable. For the entrepreneur and and the, and the financial supporters, right? And that's so, what I hope we can talk about. So imagine I'm I'm a I'm a startup. I'm I'm a founder of a startup. Me and my founders have a great idea, but very little cash. And we come to Mince and we go through the Mince Edge program and we get founded. And now, now what? What what do we do with the IP? We go to you and we say, you know, help us. What, what what's the plan? Yeah, and it's it's a it's a great question. We're faced with that all the time, and. Everyone is in a rush to try to get a patent or, or to try to secure technology as best they can. And my advice is almost always the same, no matter whether it's, it's there's only an idea or they've already taken a few steps. And that is, let's back up a little bit and make a plan. And make that plan over two, three quarters, or maybe it's two, three years, but let's make a plan because there's certainly gonna be a lot of things that happen between day one and two years from day one. Uh, and not all of that involves IP, but it, all of that involves fundraising. And so if we can plan your IP events so that they coordinate with your fundraising and your product development or your technology development, we're in a pretty good place. And you have a very nice story to tell your investors. So I try to steer that first meeting with our with entrepreneurs that come in the door through our Mince Edge program to understanding what their needs are and, and letting them leave with a, a rough plan in Quarter one, we need to get our act together and get our development plan together. And then we know when we will be able to execute on a provisional patent application, for example, or get certain agreements in place with developers, or if we have to in-license technology. Sometimes the technology is coming out of a university, and, and that might be the first step. But we need to identify what those steps are. If we can plan for it, we can budget for it. If you can budget for it, you can raise the money on it. Mm-hmm. And does it matter what the type of IP is? whether it's software or patent or even trademark, right? You know, in the world of IP, there's a lot of different flavors. Uh, tell me a little bit about how, how the strategy differs when you're dealing with different types of IP. So the, the, the specific implementation differs, but the overall, the broad strategy is very much the same. And that is, it, you're, you're safest if you take a layered approach to protecting your technology and your intellectual property. 
So the first layer is, is a contractual layer, and that is you know, what's coming in the door and what's leaving the door, and do you have the right protections in place? For the earliest stage companies, that, that's just simply making sure the right language is in the founder's agreements. Um, but it could be as you start hiring folks or you bring in, in additional, uh, additional employees or, or consultants that we need to tweak some of that language. So that first language is the contractual layer. The next layer is when we actually look at what's being developed. And that's where provisional patents may come into play because they're, they're pretty quick. You can file multiple. Uh, they're not that expensive depending on who's mm -hmm. doing the work. Um, it could also be that some aspects might be eligible for trade secret and we want to identify those early. Uh, so that we can keep a, keep a close eye on that as development occurs. Then um, with technology these days, particularly software, um, part of protecting that is just going to be through access and control. And so we want to make sure you have that, the, the right, the right um, formalities in place and the right protocols in place for that. So taking this layered approach, um, we can, we can build each layer according to each stage of technical development and each stage of maturity as the company progresses. Mm -hmm. And that's how we try to build an IP development plan. And some folks get a little, a little nervous when I say, oh, you really do need an IP development plan. But it, if you think about it, it makes sense. You've got a technology development plan that's taking place over, over, over for simple apps, it could just be over you know, many weeks. For complex enterprise level programs, it could be over many years. But you've, you're developing this technology, and as you encounter hurdles, those are opportunities to develop intellectual property. As you bring in new capabilities, either through in-licensing or, or, or develop them organically, it's no more opportunity to develop intellectual property. But at the same time, your company, not just the hard IP in terms of patents and, and software, but at the same time, your company is growing and gaining reputation, building goodwill. So that's a great time to develop the soft IP in terms of trademark, brand equity, uh, establishing your, your, your internet or domain presence. Uh, and so we want to we see if we can do this not just all at once and try to capture it as best we can, but schedule it out from quarter to quarter and in conjunction with those major milestones in technical development so that we're closely, to use the overword, overused word, we're closely aligned between mm -hmm. building your, your IP as you build your technology and your product. Right. And so if we can match that up, the company has a great story to tell as they go out to seek additional investment or seek strategic partners that they know when they're capturing these these significant events in their IP development. Now you mentioned a couple words, um, provisional patent. Can you talk a little bit about how provisional patent uh, is different from a different? Sure, sure. So uh, there's there's a, a widely held belief an incorrect belief among entrepreneurs that a provisional patent is a very cheap and easy way to check the box on, on patent. And really what pr provisional patent is, is it's a placeholder. Uh, so the, the U.S. is now a, a first-to-file country, meaning your invention date for the, for the patent trademarks office's perspective is the day you file your patent application. So if you can file a provisional application, it gets you into the system but it's only as good as the level of detail in your description or what you describe. So if I write my new idea for, for the best implementation of blockchain yet on the back of an envelope, I'm only gonna get the back of, levels, a back, the back of an envelope's level of protection. You, have, you only get what you describe. It's all about disclosure and patents. So 
The nice thing about the pros of a provisional application is that it, it's ideal if you're already preparing a white paper. You can get that in quickly. Um, you can file multiple provisional patent applications, and there's, the filing fees are very low. Um, and so you can, you can get your disclosure on, on record, and then at the expiration of the provisional period, you can convert that to a full, regular, what we consider a patent application. Provisional patent applications live for one year. So a lot can happen in that first year or in that one year of development for a company. And it's, it's a great opportunity to focus and refine your, your, your patent applications during that one year period. Uh, so I, I encourage the use of provisional applications as long as it's done in, in an informed manner and, and not just as a quick and easy way to check a box. And provisional patents, are, in terms of when they're effective, is it the same backlog as there is with regular patents? So a provisional patent is never examined. Uh, it's not, so the backlog doesn't really apply to the provisional application. It really is just a placeholder and it only lives for one year. So at the end of that year, you have to convert it to a regular patent application and then that's when you have the same backlog. So that, the provisional application really, if you don't take action on it after a year, it, it evaporates, it dies essentially. And, and when you start your regular application after that first year or sometime during that first year, it's still going to date. Will the effectiveness date back to when the provisional absolutely. was filed? That, absolutely. For what is disclosed. So if, if we add additional material to the new application and it wasn't in the provisional, you don't get the benefit of the new material, which, which is why, going back to our first, you know, the first part of this conversation, we sit down with a plan and we say, what do you know now? Do you have, have, you, have you thought through how you're going to build this technology or this product? Can we disclose it adequately in a provisional? That gives you a good deal of protection. If it's still, we're not quite sure how we're going to do this, it's, it's really very early in the conception, then maybe we want to wait a bit until we file that provisional, until we have a better idea of how we're going to get, get the job done. And what about founders who bring IP to a startup? Maybe you've got multiple founders, they're, they're each contributing some kind of know-how or, or some other kind of IP. Sure. Uh, how do you normally navigate those th that? This is, this is getting back to that structured or layered approach to protecting your IP. People are coming in with different contributions, or they may be coming in with, with some intellectual property or, or technology, but it may be encumbered by a previous employer or a previous research institution or university. We do need to understand that in order to structure who's contributing what and how it can be improved and who will have the rights to it. And, and sorting that out early in the process is very important because waiting until there's money at stake either through investment or strategic partnership when diligence is being done, that only hurts the valuation of the company if we wait till that, that point. So uh, as folks come and they want to contribute either technology or, in, or intellectual property, it's usually, if it, it, it's easier to take care of when everybody's excited about the idea. Uh, as opposed to when everybody's exhausted after a year of development, we still don't quite have what we want. So I try to encourage that we get those uh, understandings and agreements in place uh, as, as early in the process as possible. Often, it's the first step in our, in our IP development plan. Okay. And what about, you also mentioned trade secrets. So what, what are trade secrets and how does a company protect them and how is it different from uh, you know, you mentioned soft and hard IP. Sure. So a, a trade secret is is a form of intellectual property. Um, 
the, the best example of trade secrets that, that have been in the news lately, I mean, there's always the Coca-Cola formula. And then WD-40 just hired the armed security guards to, to transfer the, the recipe for WD-40. Uh, but a trade secret it is, is very different than a patent in that it is truly a secret. So if it gets out, there's very little protection for it unless it was misappropriated. But um, trade secret is at a higher level than just sensitive business information or proprietary information or even know-how. Trade to, to have trade secret protection, um, you really need to identify a process or or a, a piece of software as as a trade secret. And there's certain formalities that go along with that. Um, and without getting into too much detail into the law, you, you really do have to treat something you're claiming as a trade secret as a, a crown jewel, as a trade secret. So you have to limit access to it. You have to have protocols in place as to who can use it, the trade secret and for, for what purposes. Um, and you, you need to um, put the rest of your company on notice that this is a trade secret and it has to be treated accordingly. We can help identify trade secrets for a lot of our tech companies. Um, the best example of what might be considered for a trade secret would be uh, a process that, that it truly isn't a black box or a virtual black box that nobody will ever see how it's done. And it, it really performs a function that that might be important to the overall process, but it's the, the actual the actual processing of the function will never be seen by anybody but on the back end by the people who have access to it. That might be a, a good a good candidate for trade secret, but it's something that, that we should discuss um, because it comes with some burdens uh, in, in, in terms of the formalities that you have to treat it with. Um, so if we're going to claim something as a trade secret, we want to do so um, we want to do so purposefully and as part of an overall plan for protecting the company's technology. Great. So I've got one more question for you. Let's talk about budgets. Company raises their, their series seed. What should they spend their money on? So uh, it depends on, on what the company's trying to develop. But they should. I don't think a company should rush into trying to get patents done, um, although a lot of people feel that that's the need. Uh, but really, the company should spend part of their initial budget on on having a consultation to get an effective IP development plan in place. The same way we would get a project plan in place to build the technology. Uh, you, with seed round, you're not going to build the technology, but you may get a, enough of a plan to know how much you have to raise to get to a proof of concept. With the seed round, depending on how large the seed is, we can at least get an IP plan in place and some confidentiality agreements in place and the founders agreements have language to protect the ideas until we can get the provisionals together. But usually, uh, and this is something that I think anybody building technology or, or, or products that may be eligible for patent should know, is that you do have to get into the process to know where the problems are in building the, the product. We encounter a problem, a problem and we overcome that problem. Problem solution is a good approach to developing a patent. So don't rush to get into the patents. Don't spend your money right up front on the patent before you have the idea crystallized in your head. Better plan for it. Put an IP development plan in place that that uh, matches and overlays your your overall technology development plan. Great. Any final thoughts for founders and other entrepreneurs in terms of what they should be thinking about with their IP plans? Well, I, I think uh, I'll, I'll echo what we we say quite often through Men's Edge, and that is IP is really important uh, to to startups. 
it supports the valuation of the company. And if it's not there, it can detract from the valuation of the company or at least add to the transactional costs down the road. Uh, it's So um, to spend the time, effort, and money on IP development will pay dividends down the road. And if we take shortcuts in that process, it will only create headaches for you down the road. Great. Thank you, Sean. Appreciate Thank you, it. Sam. Thank you for listening. We look forward to having you back here next time for the next From the Edge podcast.